Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. I want to welcome you all. Thank you, Charles, for leading us in worship. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 12. This is where we will begin tonight. We're continuing in our value series where we're unpacking throughout the year at various moments in the year. We're unpacking uh, the values uh, here at New Hope. And so uh, we are currently on relational discipleship, but quick Uh, Just summary of where we've been. We started with value number one, which was reading scripture, which means we consistently turn to the word of God as our ultimate guide for life and truth. We turn there to find answers. We turn there in deepest problems. And part of the way that that is a value that has lived out for us is one of the things we said is that we are committed to corporate scripture reading and memorization. For us to say we value reading Scripture uh, is not just to say we only value the reading part. We value the studying part, the memorization part, the teaching aspects, everything related to uh, Scripture. And so we memorize Scripture together. And so starting next week, you'll need verse 1 of this uh, passage memorized. But we're going to memorize Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8 together. And eight will probably, verse 8 will probably break up into a couple weeks because it's a little bit longer. But Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. I want to go ahead and read that at this time. Uh, it says this, Titus 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so for next week, I want to encourage you to have Titus 3, 4 memorized. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared. And we'll take some time as we memorize it that I will teach on it on those verses briefly at the beginning of each sermon just to help us understand and begin to unpack that scripture as we memorize it together. And so value one was reading scripture. Value two is relentless prayer, that we want to be a people who start and end everything in prayer, which is why with reading scripture, we start our service with the passage of scripture and with prayer as we come into worship of song. So reading scripture, relentless prayer, radical hospitality of how we welcome people into our lives and into our homes and we share our lives and our resources with others. And now we are talking about relational discipleship, which is defined this way. At New Hope, we intentionally invest time and energy to help others follow Jesus. This value is demonstrated in three different specific ways here at our church. First, is that it means that we are being mentored by someone and mentoring someone else. We'll talk about that specifically next week. Second, 
It is demonstrated by living life with others through community groups, which we'll talk about this week. And then last week, we talked about the third demonstrated by, which was having 2 a.m. friends we can call. 2 a.m. friends is just a way of saying that we have those people that we can call at any time of the day for any reason, and we have people that we are living life with in such a way that we feel comfortable at any time and in any moment giving a call to them. We talked about how God had created us for relationships last week, and to deny relationships is to deny our humanity and to glorify God. God created us for relationships, and through those relationships, we glorify Him. So this week, as we talk about demonstration number two, living life with others through community groups, here's the main point of today's sermon. Our relationship to one another affects how we relate to one another. Play on words, but let me say it again. Our relationship to one another affects how we relate to one another. Let me illustrate this main point before we begin to unpack it uh, today. Uh, last week or the week before, time is beginning to fly, uh, our kids started back school. Now, this was a big deal for a number of reasons because we're coming out of COVID uh, year for us. Um, and it's also the first time that all three of our kids are in school at the same time. Right? So as parents, we've arrived. Like we have this moment. We're just like, what are we, you know, like the kids are out of the house for the first time. Um, for real, I feel like we've arrived in life. Um, so anyways, so, but on that first day of school, I'm having a conversation specifically with Levi and Ella. Because of COVID, um, parents, or, or excuse me, not parents, schools don't want to kind of like cross families um, and so both Levi and Ella are in kindergarten, where we might encourage, for the sake of the teacher, to put them in different classes. Because of COVID, they want all the families together, and so Levi and Ella are in the same kindergarten class, which is easier for us, um, but probably not easiest for the teacher. Because parents, you know this, when your kids are together, they're more comfortable with one another, and they often misbehave more naturally. So Levi is more likely um, to get really comfortable and do something he shouldn't do to his sister and vice versa. So where he might uh, not act out as much, he's more likely to do so maybe with his sister. And so we're having a conversation, though, because they're in the same class. I had a conversation with both of them uh, as they went into school, this basic conversation of, hey, this is your sister, this is your brother, look out for one another, right? You're going in, you're both going into kindergarten, you're both going to be in school, you're going into a new school because we had moved, and so this is all new, but you've got to be there for one another. You've got to encourage one another, help one another, you've got to protect one another. And as I'm encouraging them to do this, why? Why should Levi look out for his sister in class? And why should his sister, Ella, look out for Levi in class? Because of this reality that they're family. And because they're family, now that's not to say um, that they should not look out for others. It's not, it's not an absolute statement in that sense, that they shouldn't care about others. No, I'm, I didn't teach my kids that. But there is a reality of like, hey, this is your brother, this is your sister, that because you are family, it does affect how you relate to one another. Because you're a family, it affects how you protect your sister and vice versa. It, it, because of your relationship to one another, it affects how you relate to one another. And so because the status of family determines our actions oftentimes and how we relate to one another. 
And so that brings me to two statements from Scripture, two passages of Scripture, and then a lot of others around that are going to help bring this point home. But there's two truths that I want us to look at that are already explicitly said in the main point. But truth number one is simply this. We are members of one another. If our relationship to one another affects how we relate to one another, then the question is, well, what is our relationship as believers in Christ? What is our relationship to one another? Well, Paul would say this in Romans 12, 5. So we, though many, so recognizing the individualness of each and every one of us, we as believers in Christ, the body of Christ, though we are many, we are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. We are members of one another. What is our relationship? As we talked about last week, the importance of relationship and how God has created us for relationship. We talked about how God created us for relationship with himself and with others. And in Ephesians 2, how because God has redeemed our relationship with himself, we've been saved by grace through faith. Then the second part of Ephesians 2 talks about how God has redeemed our relationship with one another and is making one body as a holy temple for his presence to dwell. Paul would say the same idea in Romans 12, 5. We are many. We recognize the individualness. We recognize that God died on the cross for me, Jonathan, and for you individually. But ultimately, he died for his body. That we are one. That we are a family. And we recognize that our status to one another affects how we treat one another. Now, once again, in the same way, when I'm talking to Levi and Ella specifically, because they're in the same class together and they would see each other all the time. But when I'm telling them, hey, look out for one another, that is not to say, once again, not to care about other people. So just for me to say, in the same way I said that to them, I say to you, we are members of one another as the body of Christ. And specifically as the body of Christ here at New Hope, we are a body together. Therefore, that affects how we relate to one another. It affects how we look out for one another and care for one another. Once again, that does not mean we don't look out and care for others, but it does put an emphasis and intentionality of how we treat one another, which simply means this. If I, because of the grace of Jesus in my life, and because of the work of the gospel in my life, that Christ is working in me in order to bring about a holiness and a sanctification in my life, because I want to be faithful to Jesus, guess what? I care about my holiness. I care about my sanctification. I care about what God is doing in me. I care a whole lot about me. Why? Because I recognize what Christ has done for me and is trying to do in me. But listen to me. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Because we are, although individuals, we are one body, we are members of one another, that affects how we treat one another and relate to one another, which simply means this. What I care about, my, about myself, because we are all one body in Christ, I must also care about you. In the same way I care about my own holiness, because we are one, I am duty-bound and desire to care about your holiness. Because I care about my sanctification and what God's doing in my life, because we are family, I care about your life. I had a conversation with my brother uh, Friday morning. Um, he just had a big um, uh, kind of moment in his career where he got promoted into a group. That was just a big deal that he got promoted into this group. And he gives me a call as his brother, and he's telling me all about it. And I'm just... 
proud of him and I'm happy for him. Why? Because he's my brother. Now, if someone else calls and tells me something good that's going on in their life, I care about that too. Don't get me wrong. I do, right? It's not like, well, you're not my family. I don't really care about you. No, I'm not saying that. But all of us also get the idea because he's my brother, there is a sense of ownership to what's going on in his life. There's a sense of ownership uh, over his kids and my involvement in his kids' life and all that's going on, even though that we live so far away from each other. And even though that we're brothers that can talk on the phone once every four, five, six months, and it's like we hang out all the time, even though we don't talk that much, there's still a great desire and care for what's going on in his life. Why? Because he is my brother. He's family. In the same way, what Scripture is saying that though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, because we are family, that everything I care for my life in Christ, I care for your life in Christ. And that should go for each of you and the people across the aisle to one another. We are a family. And the fact that we are family, it affects how we treat one another. Others' well-being is as important as my own well-being. Other people's needs and their needs being met are as important as my needs being met. Someone else's sanctification and holiness and their relationship with Christ and their growth in their relationship with Christ is as important as my sanctification, holiness, and growth in Christ. Which is why we define relational discipleship as a value. We intentionally invest time and energy to help others follow Jesus. Why? Because your walk with Christ is as important as my walk with Christ to me. And I'm not just saying that objectively. Yes, of course, theologically, your walk's important, my walk's important. That's the truth. That's just objectively true. No, what I'm saying is that it's subjectively true, meaning I actually feel that way. I actually care about your walk with Christ as much as my walk with Christ. Why? Because we are a family. We are members of one another, and our relationship to one another affects how we relate to one another. So truth number one, because we are members of one another, truth number two, we are to love one another. We are members of one another, therefore we are to love one another. And I've already said it, but let me say it again. That is not to say we don't love people who are not a part of this church body. That is not to say we don't love people who are not uh, part of the Christian faith or followers of Jesus. No, it's not saying that, but it is to put an emphasis and intentionality to say, because we are family, there's a call to love one another. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus would say this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. The the family illustration, I think, fits here as much as any other part when we talk about loving one another. And here's what I mean by that. It's, it's natural and easiest for me to love my family. Why? Because they're my family. I grew up with them. I was around them. Uh, they're extended family even, so we, we are connected in a lot of different ways. And so it's, it's easiest and naturalist, most natural for me to love my family. But it's also easiest and most natural for me to have friction with my family. But yet, even in that friction, there is still a perseverance and long-suffering and love for my family. 
It is, because, listen to me, it is oftentimes because you're my family, in reference to my family, and in reference to friction, that I'm willing and more likely to bear in long suffering and perseverance of wrongdoing because we're family. And I think all of us get both of those statements. It's easiest for us to love our family, but it's also understandable that it's, it's most hurtful when we have pain and suffering and trials and tribulations with our family and the call and the desire to continue to love and forgive. I say that because when Jesus says this statement in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Well, how did Jesus love us? Well, he loved us, specifically talking to his disciples. He loved his disciples when his disciples betrayed him. He loved his disciples when they walked away from him on the cross. He loved his disciples when they were doing everything they can just to get in positions of authority. And he, he, he called him Satan at one point, right? The brothers are fighting over who's going to be on his right and his left in glory. And, and he, he's having to get the moms actually coming and asking the question also. And so he's having to deal with those situations. He's continuing to love and care for them when they often do things that disappoint. And what? He continued to love them to the point of giving over his life for them. So when we say we are to love one another, it's not just to say, hey, we have good feelings towards one another. Well, no, what it means is we have long-suffering with one another, meaning we bear through trials and tribulations and continue to show grace to one another. All of you, uh, I don't know that there's enough. We put two or three at the end of each aisle, but there was a sheet that I wanted you to have. So maybe uh, if, there, if you don't have one, there's this whole aisle still has these sheets um, they kind of look like this. Um, I just want you to do this because here, here's what I want to do. I want us, I believe, here are all the different, I believe, if I remember correctly, 59 examples or 54, 59 examples. Um, and you're not going to count 59 right there, but some of them are repeated multiple times. Uh, so if you're like, he can't count, he's not even close to 59. Well, for example, love one another is, is used 16 times in Scripture in the New Testament. So some of them are multiple. But I want you to look at these, and I put kind of all of these under the category love one another. I really, so we say, okay, Jonathan, what does it mean to, to love one another? If, if we are family, we're members of one another, and because we are family, we're called to love one another. All right, well, how do I really do that? That sounds great, but, but how do I really do that? Let's begin to just read through some of the examples of love one another. Now, I want to point out, before I do that, all of these one another's is just one Greek word. So we just searched that word, and this brought up all the examples, and I'll, I'll unpack more of that in just a second. But John 13, 34, you are to love one another. Then it says, how do, here are some practical ways that we care for one another and devoted to one another. One, you are devoted to one another. You can see the references, so I won't read them. You are to honor one another above yourselves. Oftentimes with family, we make sacrifices as a way to honor them. We do the same within the body of Christ. We live in harmony with one another. Why would Paul have to tell the church to live in harmony unless they weren't already living in harmony? So the fact that he said it means that they needed to hear it, and sometimes we need to hear it also. That we are called to build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Be unified on the same page as I do. We are to accept one another. We admonish one another. Now, here's, here, it's easy for us to go, yeah, yeah, let's, let's encourage and build one another up. But what if, what if that means that sometimes we have to admonish one another? 
that all of Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof, rebuke. Right? These are words we don't often want to hear, but sometimes because I care about your holiness as much as my holiness, that because I actually care about that, then I will, out of love for you as my family, maybe speak a word of admonishment. We care for one another. We serve one another. We bear one another's burdens. We forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We submit to one another. We consider others better than ourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up, provoke, stimulate one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Here's the truth about every single one of those statements. All of those require relationships with one another. It's assuming And it's by necessity that we are in relationships in order to model these things. So when we talk about discipleship, which oftentimes simply defined as being a follower of Jesus, the Great Commission, that we, uh, that he told the great, he told, gave the Great Commission to disciples to teach others to obey. And so a lot of times we think about discipleship, we think about teaching and doctrine and growing in the Word of God, which is absolutely a part of it. We'll unpack that more next week. But when we think about discipleship and following Jesus, we want to emphasize that part of that is living life with others in order to see that happen. Because as we live life with others, because we are one body together, that we love one another, we're devoted to one another, and we are able to do these things. We're able to care and serve and bear and forgive one another. We're able to live out these things. These are all commands. These are not suggestions. If you take and unpack these, these are all in, grammatically, they are imperatives. They are commandments given unto us, which means not to do them is to be disobedient to the Word of God and sin before God. And so it's a challenge as I printed these out because I want you to take it home. And I want you to put this somewhere and ask yourself as you read this every once in a while, how can I care for someone today? How can I serve someone today? Specifically, how can I care and serve for someone at New Hope today? Why? Because we are members of one another. We are the body of Christ here at New Hope. And because we are family, just like I told Levi and Ella, it affects how you treat one another. If you look at the very top of the page, the first paragraph, it says this, the phrase one another is derived from the Greek word and it's pronounced all alone which for me, when I was doing Greek a few years ago, and I'm doing vocab words, uh, you often think of phrases to help you remember things. Um, and they're just kind of sayings that help you click, that help you memorize. And for me, this was the phrase. I saw the word all alone, and here's the phrase I memorized. Uh, we are not all alone because of the Greek use of all alone. It's a play on words and sounding, but oftentimes we want to try to live the Christian life all alone isolated from everyone else. 
thinking that we can live the Christian life and not need to live in relationship with others. But the truth is, is that this Greek word all alone is used so many times in so many different contexts that if we were to actually study it like we do on that sheet, we would recognize it is impossible to be faithful to those things if we are living all alone. And so because of the Greek use of the word all alone, which means one another, you and I never have to live the Christian life all alone. And I want to encourage us that one of the marks of maturity, so we have values. Values say these, this is the kind of the DNA of who we are. This is what we value. Values help us make decisions at our church. So, for example, reading scripture, part of that is that corporate, corporate scripture reading and memorization. So it affects the decision for us to memorize scripture. It affects the fact that we read scripture at the beginning of service. So our values help us make decisions oftentimes in how and what we do as a church. Our measures, which we call marks of maturity or measures, we use those interchangeably. Those are marks that help us find out if we are living healthy in our walk with Christ. And so our measures are these three on the wall, that we live surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus that we live surrounded by a community of faith, and we live sent to the world around us. They're, they're, they're diagnostic questions. Hey, how is my walk going with Christ? Well, we ask ourselves, am I, how am I living surrendered to Christ? How am I living surrounded? How am I living sent? But because we're talking about relationships, I want to talk about the live surrounded for a second. We define living surrounded. Marks of a healthy Christian who's living surrounded by a community of faith means they are available for the body of Christ. We are so busy. And it's so easy to fill our schedules with all these different things. But I ask you, are you making yourself available for, for your family here at New Hope? Not only do we need to make ourselves available, but we must become active with one another. Not only do we clear our schedule of things that get in the way, but then we intentionally give our lives to Sunday worship, to community groups, to other activities where we're around the body of Christ. And then thirdly, we are accountable to one another. To be accountable to one another is allow people to live out these commandments in your life. See, to be accountable means that you allow other people to admonish you. To be accountable means you allow other people to forgive you when you need it. To be accountable means that you let other people serve you and care for you because sometimes our ego and our pride doesn't even like that part. To be accountable means that we give our lives and entrust our lives to others and we allow others to entrust their lives to us. And so the second demonstration, which was the main application of today's sermon, is that that relational discipleship is that we live life with others through community groups. See, we in no way want to downplay what is happening right here. The gathering of the body of Christ is so valuable on Sundays when we come and we sing songs of worship and we study God's word and it gives us an opportunity to see one another. But if we walk out of this room and we are not in contact with one another throughout the week, if we're not living life with one another, then that isn't the relationship we're describing. We're talking about a relationship where you live life with people in smaller groups oftentimes. And so this is what we call community groups. And we meet and we have community groups that meet at different times. Community groups through COVID was the primary avenue that we gathered. A lot of times we weren't able to gather here. We gathered in community groups so we want to encourage you to continue to jump into community groups and be a part of community groups. Here at New Hope, we understand that relational discipleship is intentionally 
investing time and energy to help others follow Jesus. Why do we invest time and energy to help others follow Jesus? Because we are of the same family. And because I care about my discipleship, I care about your discipleship. And because we are a family, we love one another in all these ways, and we intentionally invest our time so that others are cared for, needs are met, and that we help others follow Jesus. Because you and I are not called to live this Christian life all alone. Because Scripture is filled with all these passages of one another. You've heard me say this many times, and I'll say it again, that the enemy desires to isolate us in order to assassinate us, to discredit and discourage our walk with Christ. But we live together in relationship and relational discipleship, and we invest our giftings and our energy into others, and we allow them to invest their giftings and energy into us. And through that, relational discipleship and faithfulness to God and His Word are able to grow and flourish. So the challenge is this. How are you intentionally investing your life into relationships with the family that is sitting around you? We are a family. Therefore, it affects how we care and treat and give our time and our energy to one another. And I want to encourage you to let us be a people here at New Hope who, yes, love the world that is not yet a part of our family. Not saying we don't, absolutely, but the emphasis here for today is that we are also intentional to invest our time and energy to help one another here follow Jesus. So if you would, bow with me as I just pray and we take a moment to meditate and hear from the Holy Spirit on this truth. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.